Hello, welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Everybody get your magnifying glass helmets out because it's time to check the yard for this week's episode on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Hey, down here! It's Reese Hendrick, host of Science Factual, and for today's episode, I caught up with Portland comedian John O'Gindhart at Kelly's Olympian downtown to talk about the Rick Moranis vehicle after the weekly open mic he co-hosts with Jaron George on Sundays at 4.30. Now is probably as good a time as ever to issue out a... being that Jono and I will be going over the synopsis of this groundbreaking film. Speaking of which, here's a brief overview before the interview segment. Also, you'll want to stick around after that interview for a hilarious set from Jono, his first ever, in fact, from Helium Comedy Club that he was able to dust off after searching the attic for that sweet, sweet comedy gold that started it all. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is a 1989 American comic science fiction film. It is the first installment of a film franchise and served as the directorial debut of Joe Johnston, but we'll get further into him during the facts section. The film stars Rick Moranis, Matt Frewer, Marcia Strassman, and Christine Sutherland. In the film, a struggling inventor accidentally shrinks his kids, along with the neighbor's kids, down to the size of a quarter inch. After being accidentally thrown out with the trash, they must work together and venture their way back through a backyard wilderness filled with dangerous insects and man-made hazards. On the almighty Rotten Tomatoes, the film has an approval rating of 78% based on reviews from 36 quote-unquote critics, with an average rating of 6.3 out of 10. The consensus reads, quote, Even as its special effects take center stage, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids still offers a charming, high-spirited sense of adventure for the whole family. Metacritic gave the film a score of 63 based on 11 reviews, and audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the film an average grade of A based on an A plus to F scale. Not sure if I lend it that much credence, but the movie is definitely a classic nonetheless. Alrighty, now that we're all sized up, let's get into this interview with Jono. Every time I go downtown, I'm like, okay, do I have any change or money in my pocket? Empty mat. I can't afford to be giving this shit out, you know? They're going to shake me down for it. Yeah, Portland will bleed you dry like that, that's for sure. I will tell you separately, I'll preface this by, I don't know why, I'm not 
on many podcasts. Okay. Um, and for some reason, I get very nervous. Okay. Of the idea of me perpetually being out there and be like, oh, that is your opinion? Mm. I was like, oh, I mean, at the time when I was yeah. drunk and high in front of Kelly's Olympian, yeah, that was my opinion. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no. I don't cancel me because they have an ongoing scope of what human consciousness is, you know? You know, uh, you can't be faulted for having a shifting view of opinion. Well, check check out this lineup, what I have coming up. This is is what I have coming up for the rest of the month of April, because you're kicking off April with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Then I have Matthew Broderick, and that's not a joke. I'm having Matthew Broderick on the podcast Wait, to cover the Men in Black. opening for Matthew Broderick? Yeah, on the month schedule, you're opening for Matthew Broderick, yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, the werewolf of Shady Pines Radio. His name happens to be Matthew Broderick. Oh, my God. <laughs> but we're covering that in No, Black. I love, was there another guy named Matthew Broderick? Yeah, he's uh, Ferris Bueller. Oh, that's, no, I'm talking about the Shady Pines guy. That, oh. He's awesome. He's a legend. He is, yeah. yeah. Dude, Matthew's the shit. Really play Teen Wolf? It is wet dreams. <laughs> uh, then I have Jeff Morris, young gun, in the Portland comedy scene. We're doing Cowboy Bebop. And then Aaron Schur and I are going to... Is Cowboy Bebop sci-fi? What do you mean? It's all space stuff. At all. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. They're all like space cowboys, kind of. I don't know. I thought it was just a... Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm thinking about... Samurai Champloo. Now I'm thinking about, uh, what's that Boondocks one? The Boondocks? Is it the Boondocks? Well, that's an adult swim. Yeah, I think that's one. The Black Family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's the little kids. The yeah, the kids, yeah. That's not the same. Okay. No, definitely not the same. Talking <laughs> to him about that. All right. right. Yeah, no, we're covering Cowboy Bebop, which is very much side point. And then we have, wrapping up the month, another decade dive jumping into the 40s. Been loving those decade dives where I cover an entire kind of decade from a literature and film perspective. That's awesome. In sci-fi, just at the 30s, which was pretty rad. Is that the War of the Worlds? Yeah, War of the Worlds broadcasted that with Jocelyn Boyer. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was genre-defining for, like, radio. Like, it really proved that radio was a truly important medium. Yeah, Yeah, the 30s were the shit. And I love swing music. Yeah. Right up my alley. Yeah, and it was also kind of like a very inventive time for sci-fi, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was uh, getting a little bit more into exploring the potential in futurist terms, as opposed to robots. Yeah. And yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Like aliens and it, just even in like Superman and kind of these kind of comic ideas. Yep, that's very true. And then, you know, stuff like, I mean, there were always trips to other planets, but really developing like the sense of alien races. I, I think that the 30s, it was the last pre-atomic age. So even thinking in terms of war, they were thinking of, you know, like advanced weaponry in the terms of ground war because... Yeah, yeah. It's like ray guns and stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like wars that would last otherwise, you know, 30 years now, 10 years later, will last 30 minutes. And it's it's just such an interesting concept how sci-fi shifts like that. So that's why I've been doing those decade dives. Definitely stoked on the force. She's really listening to this podcast. This is- <laughs> <laughs> well, you're on it now. And folks, well, the voice that you hear other than my own, this is John O'Gindhart. Hi, John O. Hi, how are you? I'm great, man. Thanks for hanging out with me. We're outside of Kelly's Olympian in downtown Portland. Beautiful downtown Portland. <laughs> beautiful. 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 Move here. Please move here. I'd be rich if I had a dollar for every time somebody asked me for a cigarette. Or a dollar. Or a dollar. Yeah. Yeah, Which it happened at least a half a dozen times while we were just standing outside shooting the shit. 
But, uh, you know, such is the state of things. This is what I call feel-good moments. This is a feel-good moment? Yeah, okay. Sure. Yeah, you and I have a, a little bit of a different definition of that, but that's okay. Uh, well, folks, we're here to talk about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. What a banger. Oof, yes, indeed. Fantastic movie. I mean, you know, first off, Rick Moranis is, is it Moranis or Moranis? How do we, how are we called, what, what's well, the real name? Being a fan of sexualizing, I'm going to say. Rick Moranis. Moranis. Yes. Richard Morinus. Dick Morinus. Yeah, Dick Morinus. Yeah, he's a goddamn national treasure. Yeah, I mean, Strange Bureau was amazing. And I think that was his first big, like, oh, this is this is a person. Kind of. mm. Yeah, I don't know that I've seen Strange Brew. Like, if we're going to jump right into Rick's Morinus, uh, I really love Little Shop of Horrors and, of course, Ghostbusters. Yeah, classics. Yeah, Little Shop of Horrors was a huge uh, influence for me because it was just awesome. I saw it at an early age, and just the idea of living off of human blood, I think, was really appealing. <laughs> right on, yeah. Well, I mean, there are carnivorous plants, but have you seen the pl- have you seen a play version, or have you just seen? Yeah, no, I've also seen. There was a. Uh, it was based on a. I saw the black and white version. Mm-hmm. There was. It was really cool. They should play that at Clinton Street. Yeah, that would be a great. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, Rick Moranis. What else did I love? The Spaceballs was probably. Oh yes, of course, Spaceballs. Yeah. Strange. How can I forget Spaceballs? Those were kind of like my pivotal. Yeah, I don't know. But well, before we get too far into the Rick Moranis vehicle that is Honey I Shrunk the Kids, because he really is the powerhouse of the movie. Uh, what is your Instagram? Uh, my Instagram is at Jono Jokes. J O N O J O K E S. Nice. Yeah. You can follow at John O Jokes. And we're going to get to the various shows and mics that you participate and or host and or haunt in a minute. But I do want to know how you got started in stand-up comedy. So I got started in stand-up comedy by being born. Mm-hmm. Taking it way back. Taking it way back. Yeah. Yeah. I had a funny birth. No, I, uh, <laughs> and then it happened. I no, I was going to uh, film school. It took me like nine years to get a two-year degree in film. Nice, solid Van Wilder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, I wasn't like working on comedy shorts or anything. I was just more like comedy capris, drug and drug-addled, drug-induced, weird kind of stuff. I don't know. Okay, sure. Clearly, no real focus. Mm-hmm. But uh, the whole time I was writing jokes, and I and this is that. This is then. This is when you oh. As opposed to now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. No, the whole time I'm still writing jokes. I'm still, anyway, yeah, I'm still drug addled, but no. Uh, so anyway, I was going to uh, school writing jokes, but doing film. And then I was so scared to get in front of an audience, I took a comedy class. Mm. Because I realized with college that I'm not going to actually do something unless I pay for it. You know what I mean? I had a similar like, I was nine to school. Yeah. I was like, I have to do, I have to better myself somehow. So I was passionate about film. I was going to school for film. Nice. And I realized in that, I was like, well, if I actually pay for it, I do it. You mean? So. Yeah, you got some skin in the game then. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So for that kind of reason, I paid for a comedy class knowing that at the end of the comedy class, I was going to get in front of the huge audience. And I was going to be able to figure out, am I funny or not? Is my writing good? Is it any good? You know? Yeah. So that's what I did. And uh, was the proof in the pudding? Yeah. I mean, I, I, it was. You're still doing it. So yeah, clearly. I mean, it was like a total setup of an audience. It was like a, 
uh, packed house and a bunch of first time new comedians. Yeah. <clears throat> it was like a helium room. It was like, sure. Everybody was laughing. It was like, it was very forgiving. Yeah. And so that. It's, affir- it's affirming. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's affirming. Good, yeah. And so just to be able to like have my jokes work, have those punchlines land. If you don't hit in a primed room, then you have some homework to do for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I still felt like I was like, you know, very nervous. I was talking to the floor, pacing and everything. Sure. You know how it worked, whatever. Well, that's good. Yeah. So that was. Do you have any recording or footage of that? Yes, I do have. A, nice. I do have a thing that makes my stomach kind of churn. Yeah. Every time. Well, when we do your in memoriam. Oh, yeah. We'll run it. <laughs> you can totally run that. And then the first open mic I did was at Helium. Oh, nice. Okay. So I was like, okay, I, I got the. The validation in my brain was like, okay, yes, I'm going to do this. Yeah. So you, you get you got started in, in comedy in Portland. It open mic, yeah. Open micing, yeah. So uh, Phoenix, Arizona, I did this comedy class. Okay, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. No, I mean about Phoenix. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, Phoenix is all right. So is Bisbee. No, actually, they have a, a lot of comedy going on in Phoenix comedy scene there. I haven't been in years, but yeah, Arizona's there. Uh, shout out Doug Stanhope. Oh hell yeah, Bisbee. Speaking of helium. And speaking of like the Doug Stanhope era, uh, we both saw Attell when he was in town. Most recently? Yeah. Oh, every time. Dude. You have to every time. Oh my God. First off, he's a hero. Secondly, I was sat side stage and he called me Lone Wolf, which I just about died on the inside. They got a photo with him and I had this whole thing planned. And Dave, if you're listening to this, I meant to tell you that you're a legend. In his life. I know he does. So, you know, this is really getting right to him. It's real sad. Absolutely. Um, no, but I, I wanted to tell him that you were a huge inspiration to me growing up. Like I remember watching Insomniac and his special road work when I first started discovering comedy in Comedy Central, watching, you know, Premium Blend and uh, Comedy Central Presents and stuff like that when I was supposed to be sleeping. Yeah, and just I, I hope to see Stanhope before he drinks himself to death. That'd be awesome. Oh, you never seen him live? No, I've never seen him live, yeah. Oh, maybe I'll go come hang, hang around Bisbee. Come back to Portland, please. Yeah, please do. Yeah, absolutely. So, awesome. So, what was your first open mic on? You were so, so that was at Helium, I think it was. Okay. Yeah, it was. Uh, so, I moved up here, and I did an open mic at Helium in October of 2015. Wow. And then it went well. I started to request. I remember, like, I was in the green room and I asked somebody, whoever the comic was next, and like, hey, this is recording. Can you just, like, hold it out in front of the curtains? <laughs> I found the side of the stage. Oh, that's funny. I have a recording that's, like, upside down. Yeah. And, uh, well, and, uh, yeah, it was crazy. It went well. I was like, I don't know how that went well, but yeah. Well, at least you got the recording. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to, like, I hear my name out of order, and I'm like, oh, shit, and I scramble, and I start, like, a screen recording yeah. instead of an audio recording, yeah. and I, I go back, kill, and I'm just like, oh, great, glad I totally didn't get that. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. So what was your first exposure to science fiction, then? I honestly don't remember. Like, I feel like early 80s was saturated with science fiction. Sure was, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do remember one of the first huge influences that i can remember was flight of the navigator okay that's beyond me i'm not familiar with it oh man it was an awesome uh, 80s movie about a kid in a family <clears throat> that kind of got uh inadvertently abducted by this spaceship that was the goal was to go around the universe and collect samples of different species and okay be like a uh, a holding tank like a knowledge center 
Sure. And so this kid gets kind of like inadvertently abducted and flies around and they're trying to get him back to Earth. Huh. They get him back to Earth and it's like 30 years later, even though it's been like, you know, like whatever. A couple weeks or whatever, yeah. Anyway, it was just like, it was a really cool like movie I would watch all the time. Nice, yeah. Well, Space Travel will do that to you. Yeah, yeah the whole time dilation thing, for sure. What is well, like Hans, Flight of a Navigator. Flight of you remember Navigator. Mac and Me? Yeah. It, it sure. kind of like, it was in the same time period as like I was okay. watching both of those VHS tapes like kind of simultaneously. Yeah. I liked the idea of like the size of the universe, time, those concepts were kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, can you think of another... Uh... Well, that's why I think like Honey, I Shrunk the Kid ties in because it's like yeah. perspective based, right? Yeah. And there is a line I thought when I was watching the movie, there, there was like, oh, uh, what if because we're smaller, time is different and then we get bigger again and then He's, and he's like, oh, that's cool because my teachers will be dead. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's something that they also while they're kind of making their way through the yard yeah. back to the house. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was, I was talking about this with Brett Baker, who's another Portland comedian who was at the mic. And we're talking about, like, well, if you shrink down to that size, would the air pressure then just crush your lungs? Like, would you be able to breathe yet still? Because we are made proportionally to be able to withstand a certain amount of atmospheric pressure. Right. So, like, because a smaller That's why we animal has a different... Of the yeah. ocean, pressure's different, and yeah, kind of... Yeah, so imagine if you were that much smaller, all of a sudden, you would then get crushed even faster. Yeah. I don't know, maybe, I don't know, I feel like I'm talking out of my ass a little bit, but... I mean, isn't isn't all science fiction mostly, it's like, you know, I'm like a, it's kind of like a, what if this was... Yeah, well, the, the physics were... There's not a lot of hard science in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, molecular physics is pretty well understood insofar as like our immediate interaction with it but i don't know i mean if we could simultaneously shrink all of the strong and weak force energy a lot like along with the size of matter appropriately i i don't i don't know i'm not qualified to, to have this discussion <laughs> yeah i mean that, that's kind of uh that's kind of like the the suspension of disbelief that it's so outside of the scope of like the normal nine to five person working, being able to be like, oh yeah, molecular biology, that makes it like, it's like, mm -hmm. I don't have to like try to see if that's real. That's the yeah. suspension of disbelief. I put it in the same realm as flubber. Yeah, exactly. That actually came up on the, on the feed. It's like, I bet. what do you want to watch next? Yeah. R.I.P. Robin Williams. Uh, Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids came out in 89. So did I. Okay. Uh, but uh, how old were you when it came out? Like, were you right in the pocket I was, for the audience? It was a movie. Uh, the middle of 82. So okay. I was like, I didn't so, actually see it in the theater. I, okay. Like, VHS, like, like a few like, years later. So, but regardless, so you were right in the pocket. Like, you were the audience for this movie. I, I, I mean, I think initially they didn't want to make it just a kid's movie. Sure. But, well, yeah, I mean, it had smoking. And, like, monster fights? Yeah. And it, I think originally they were going to, oh, because this was a fun thing. Stuart Gordon, he was the director of Reanimator. Okay. Actually wrote the script for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Huh. I was going to originally, well, he was co-writer ultimately, but was going Isn't to. Isn't that the breaks in Hollywood? Yeah. You come in with an idea, they're like, we're going to put this other guy on it too, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he was going to uh, direct it, but uh, it ended up being this, the whatever, the guy, Joe Johnston. I always confuse him with that libertarian who ran for president. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So 
I mean, before we get into the synopsis of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, have you seen the sequels, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid and Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves? Yeah, I I have. Uh, I've seen those, but I didn't like rewatch those. Yeah. Um, I do remember seeing them. Same. Like I saw them in, in like the appropriate time. I mean, with Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, the third one, yeah. it, was, it was straight to VHS. Right. Yeah, yeah. When, this is know, back when Blockbuster was like a thing. Yeah. Was, yeah. That was what was affordable. Did you have a Hollywood? video too uh what do we have we had um yeah i think we had hollywood videos we had blockbuster we had little local mama pop kind of places yeah shout out videots okay in west los angeles no what am i saying santa monica it's on pico um all right so in portland Oregon. are we in portland all right uh, have you seen the television series? I have not. I haven't been able to find any episodes. Probably going to head to the dark web. I just newly found out about that. I did. It's not Rick Moranis, so I'm not. I liked, I mean, I think number one was definitely the strongest. I think two was cool because it was kind of like a, it was almost like a creature feature, you know? And it has an N-word joke. Oh, really? Yeah, right, right in the like top 10, 15 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, so Rick Moranis says something like, yeah, he says the word nap, and the wife comes up and goes, don't say the N-word around him, the kid. Uh, anyway, moving on, we had to double check because my wife Amanda and I were watching it the other night, and we're like, oh, yeah, it is a Disney movie, yeah. Yeah, because 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 they're, like, right at the beginning, it does a, well, yeah, dude, they talk about VHSs. That's that is a jingle that is ingrained in my mental. Like when I finally die of a stroke, and that'll probably no, just the end part. Uh, yeah. There's you did the first part, and uh, I did the second part. <laughs> Speaking of parts, let's get into the synopsis of the first part of this trilogy, this epic trilogy. But I hesitate to call it that because speaking of Arizona, doesn't the second one take place in Arizona? Like they're I don't they're know. in like a totally different. Uh, I don't know, but I know I know most of the first one was actually filmed in Mexico. Nice. Did you know that? No. Yeah. Uh, it was the uh, what is it called? It's uh, Churubusco. Chur- yeah, the Churubusco Studios. Well, it was like the only studio that could handle the size of these props and the space that they needed for these enormous fucking puppeteers. Yes. You know the ant took sixteen. People, the puppeteer. Oh yes, <laughs> that's Dude, crazy. This the set design is amazing, though, isn't it? It's well worth it. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's miss the sets. Such are incredible. Yes. Ants, bees, scorpions, giant cookies, dustpan. Oh my god! Yeah, when they're hanging down the room, <laughs> I was like, my allergies. The dog fur. Yeah, and the, and the the sprinkler that become. If you're hypoallergenic, you shouldn't watch this movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you if you have any sort of germophobia or fear of big things, I don't know what that one's called. Uh, Claustrophobia isn't that? Oh yeah, for sure, these yeah, because they get much of thrown out in the trash. All right, let's get into it. Okay.
Yeah, speaking of which. Might, might as, yeah, of course. Let me twist your arm. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. This is. Yeah, of course, Dan. Yeah, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. This is going to be episode 73, if you can believe it. 73. 73. It took you a while to have me on. I, dude, seriously, that's 73 weeks in a row. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> it's been. <laughs> it's a weekly show that I air on Shady Pines Radio. Now, does this coughing play well on the audio? It's going to play great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When did you start? November of 2021. Mid-pandemic. Yeah. Fucking A, dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's when a lot of podcasts started. And then, you know, a few episodes came out and they peter out. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I want to hit at least episode 100. And then I'm going to make some changes to the formatting or at least the release schedule. I don't know. I just feel like this is not a pandemic idea. This is like a good, you know what I mean? Thank you. Yeah, no, it's like, it's good that the pandemic, I mean, it's good that it happened. Well, I, I also was thinking about like, how can I meet more people in my community and go to bikes? I mean, like what? You can either do strip clubs or a podcast. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Or just a podcast at a strip club. All male review. I mean, uh, <laughs> now you're just taking my ideas. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Podcast. Yeah, maybe another <laughs> podcast. I mean, we'll just go around to all the various glory holes around Portland and interview people who are getting filleted. Ooh, wow. Is it fantasy or taboos just around the way on Broadway? Okay. If you get started, I have the mic. Just, I used to work at Mr. Peeps, too. That's our yeah. second stop. Uh, they're open 24 hours. We could do we could do some real Gonzo-style journalists on you and I, John. Well, I'm down to do it. The problem is I keep coming up with more extreme ideas, and then I, I'm like... That's Okay. Get myself in. Do I want to like start telling people doing drugs on the street? I mean, that's not a good look. It's not. No, I mean, it, not unless you're prepared for it. Is it arched? If you haven't seen Man Bites Dog, you need to see that. Man Bites Dog? Yeah. It's about a documentary crew that follows a murderer and through like hysteria based madness, they end up like, well, I don't want to ruin it, but like they get caught up in his madness, the camera crew. And it is a fucking beautiful film. It is French. So. You know, there's that, but yeah. No, Subtitles? Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, I, I know. Uh, I know. Or you could learn French. Well, that's what I'm going to have to do. I'm not doing yeah, that. No, I... I that's yeah. the bummer of subtitles. Like, every time I want to watch a good movie in a different language, I got to fucking learn the language? I know. What a hassle. What a hassle. I Better be a good movie. Other languages. <laughs> I don't like the... I, I like the... Wah, wah, wah. It's like, when, like I'm watching Charlie Brown or something. Oh, yeah. Now I'd be an asshole. I, I honestly... If anything, I hate the sound of English. It sucks. It's the worst sounding language. Uh, Jordan's pretty harsh. You know, Dutch is actually a little bit more pleasant, but uh, yeah, English is not my favorite language to listen to. <laughs> Turn me out. Too bad I can't do the podcast in Spanish. I'm not that, you good. I'm not that good. Dub it? Yeah, or have subtitles. Subtitles on the podcast? Yeah. I'll get right on that, Jono. And I'll get right into this synopsis. Oh, you gonna do it? I'm gonna do it. Quirky scientist and inventor Wayne Zelensky. Zelensky has been designing a ray gun machine capable of shrinking and growing objects, but cannot get it to work properly. No shit. Do you think he's ever going to get it to work properly? Because it, it it works by accident. And then again, by accident. Wait, no, I did, at the end, he gets it to work properly. Kind of. I mean, it, it, no, he very clearly, he tests the neighbor no i know but it's the baseball like it's by accident you know what i mean like oh. at, at this stage he's not 
Well, no, because he realized why in that moment. He realized, oh, because there's too much heat in the laser or whatever. Because the... And when the blood the, stuff off, yeah, I see. Okay. So in the theory of in the world of the movie, he's like, yeah, I figured out why. Okay. And you know that because in the sequel, he's a accomplished scientist with his own lab. Well, he's, it's not his lab. He's, his technology is being used in the lab. There's that douchebag. Right. But, so this is all based on his, right, his research and his... They, they, they're kind of... Find out success. They're giving him credit to his invention. I guess I mean more the growing objects part, and that does lead into the second one, because he does succeed in, like, sporadically having his kid grow and shrink based on his contact with electricity, but... Yeah. I mean, it might, if I was a teenager, I'd be super happy about that. Can you yeah. can you dial in on certain body? Yeah, just certain body parts. Yeah, I'd like my nipples to get huge. Yeah, actually. gigantic eyeballs. Yeah, like anime. Yeah, and nothing else. Nothing else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want one big toe. Okay. Yeah, on my pinky toe on my right foot. I want a huge. And yeah, how much bigger than the rest of your toes? Um, I would say a foot size. Wow. I have I have a foot in front of my foot. Wow. Yeah, that's stable. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> You ever been knocked out by a pinky toe? Ooh. Not not yet. No, I bet you'd pay good money for it. Probably. Oh, I would definitely pay good money to see it. You would do well in the UFC. You'd put a Nike on that thing? Yeah, well, two, actually. Yeah, capitalism extreme. Yeah. yeah, I got a size 14 pinky toe. Absolutely. But, I mean, he does discover it by accident because of the baseball, and much like a lot of science in real life, uh, it's discovered by accident. Right. The photography, penicillin. Yep, penicillin for jerseys, yeah. His obsession with the machine worries his hardworking wife, Diane, teenage daughter, Amy, and aspiring inventor son, Nick, who's super cute. Nick is a cutie. Yeah. Next door, Big Russ Thompson, his wife, May, and their younger son, Ron, are preparing for a fishing trip. Their elder son, Little Russ, is less than enthusiastic, as his interests often clash with that of his father's. That age old. Did he? Yeah. Which is weird because it's like, clearly the older son takes after the mom. Yeah. Because he's like not a complete dipshit. Right. And the uh, younger son takes after the dad. Yeah, Ron is a major dipshit. Yeah, he's a major dipshit. And you could tell because like when he's checking off his camping list, not only does he just like have everything like spread out in front of him, like a fucking, and who does that? You put it into the fucking camper van, and then you check it off, and it's done. On the, that's why you have the list. You can see it. You don't need the fucking list. But anyway, so he has this dumb list, right? <laughs> and then right in front of the was right. He's right. He's fucking taking like there's frozen dinners. There's like how did you know it? They're like oh no, I didn't know. It's like frozen dinners that he's writing on. I feel like this is coming from a childhood trauma that you're processing right now on the podcast. Okay, yeah, I had a lot of weird neighbors. All right, okay, kid, yeah, but also these are frozen dinners. You don't keep them outside in the fucking sun for fucking hours. You know, checking off your little list. Yeah, no, I... and you don't fucking load a microwave onto a fucking RV when you're going camping. Oh, I mean, I would. Yeah. Just in case. I don't know. This is what they're preparing for. They're literally going on a fishing trip. He's got frozen fish dinners that he's going to take for a microwave. What if you don't catch a fish, Jono? I don't know. I think it's just like the humor needs to be a little more obvious. Well, we'll travel back in time to 1988 when they were writing it, and we'll we'll give him a what's for. Oh, 1988. There's a good segue. 
uh, that's when Roger Rabbit came out. Oh, yeah. And Love that movie. because they wanted good things for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Timmy the Terrible or whatever, was a short, a Roger Rabbit short that played theatrically during the release of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I, yeah. what It's with the big baby, right? Or no? Uh, yeah. 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 And, yeah I remember and then it in the Yeah. And it, it, it hit the thing and all the... Like needles shot towards Roger Rabbit. Yes. Nostalgia on 10 right now. Yeah. All right. Shortly after Wayne leaves for a conference, Ron accidentally hits a baseball through the Solinsky attic window and into the machine, turning it on and blocking its targeting laser. Caught by his brother, Ron is forced to confess to the Solinsky kids. Ron and Nick enter the attic to retrieve the ball and clean up the mess, and the activated machine then shrinks them accidentally. Yeah. Amy and little Russ suffer the same fate when they go searching for their siblings. Which, I mean, maybe a thousand years from now, people will be listening to this. We're like, ah, idiots. They were so close to, like, figuring it out. But no, instead, we were worried about burning dead dinosaurs. Oh, there was that movie, uh, Downsizing, which is kind of like a modern um, reinterpretation of that whole idea of, like... Because I feel like Incredible Shrinking Man was kind of like... That's kind of like what Honey, I Shrunk the Kid yeah, or a throwback to... Ant-Man is another one of those like, in that vein. I mean, not like that it's the same kind of... Comic. Yeah, well, just the concept of becoming big and small at a whim or like, well, you know, through, like through scientific means. 2016, they came out with that movie Downsizing, which was kind of about... And I like the approach to that because it was kind of like an ecological, like an eco-friendly... I don't know that I saw it. Uh, It was with... Matt Damon. Matt Damon. And um, Kristen Wynn. Yeah. I don't know. I, I thought it was a really uh, very enjoyable movie. It was sort of like a weird, bizarre, dark comedy. But it was like... Ooh, it's cu- it's coming back to me now. I think I saw it on an airplane once. <laughs> That's a perfect place to it. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a great airplane movie. But there's, I mean, there's a lot of tropes throughout. T- I mean, like, there's also, um, what is it? Uh, the Magic School Bus. Yeah. You know, they do that. Oh, and did you ever see uh, The Boys? The Boys. Was a, it's an Amazon show where about superheroes. Oh, I thought, okay, I thought you meant something older. Yeah, no, I, I yes, I'm familiar with this yeah. TV show. I, I It's so, on my list. I haven't seen it yet. In the second, oh, this is a spoiler, but in the That's second, okay. uh, in the second uh, season, they have a, one of the people that work for her, it's like a little, he can shrink. Oh, nice. And uh, it's, he happens to be a gay guy. Okay. So what he does is he shrinks, and uh, well, he has also has a bit of a coke problem. Okay. So what he does is he shrinks, and he goes into the urethra of the person he's, you know, with. It's, I don't know, this kid love interest. Okay. And uh, because he's doing coke, he sneezes, and then that molecularly makes him big, I guess, or whatever. So he explodes his gay lover. And it was the best scene of the second fucking season. Okay. So spoiler alert, but yeah, no, that's. Okay. I think I think shrinking is a is a huge idea beyond just like you know, ooh, it's cold outside. Yeah. Yeah, um, I just saw that Seinfeld episode where George is like, "I was in the pool," but that's a different kind of shrinkage, right? All right. At his conference, Wayne is laughed off the stage by failing to provide proof that his machine works. He enters the attic upon returning home. The shrunken children try to get his attention, but their voices are only loud enough to be heard by the family dog, Quark. Already frustrated, Wayne discovers the broken window and snaps, repeatedly striking the machine. He sweeps the debris, along with the kids, into a dustpan and trash bag. The four manage to escape, only to discover that the trash bag is now at the curb. They must make their way back home through the Solinsky's overground yard, which 
is probably the best sequence in the movie. Yeah. Like the whole getting back from the, uh, That's fr- the from movie. the curve. It's, they were, it's, yeah. I think at one point they were going to call the movie The Backyard. Yeah. Yeah. That's another documentary I've seen. <laughs> is that about anal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. There were six to nine sequels to that one. <laughs> Dude, that was the best. That was right. the entire movie. Like, yeah. that was the best thing of the movie was just the adventure portion of like oh what a fantasy to be so it's like an Alice in Wonderland moment like oh we're minuscule and unimportant like it's just it's kind of cool it's like a freeing kind of yeah it, it was surreal meanwhile the Thompson and Solinsky parents become uneasy at their children's absence uh naturally May and Big Russ cancel their fishing trip and file a missing persons report with the police Wayne eventually pieces together what happened, but accidentally activates some sprinklers while searching the yard, which for some reason are filled with cum. I, I, I mean, the, the sprinkler, the water that they use in the sprinkler. Very I, thick. Very thick. I know it's supposed to be like, you know, like big and momentous, but it is very much looking like some cummy cums. Yeah, it's it's kind of, I mean, they definitely have a, and when she falls into that pit too, Yeah, it is like a, like that kind of, Goop, like it was goopy. Yeah. Uh, what was that? Um, it's like a Nickelodeon. The slime one, yeah. Oh man, what was it? It's like Double Dare. Yeah, 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 yeah. With the sliming. Yeah, I look in the backyard all the time. There's no way that that water is that uh, semen-like. I hope not, unless it's a Zelensky original. In which case, he's been putting in a lot of work. <laughs> as a result, as you just mentioned, Amy nearly drowns in a mud puddle, which is probably a little salty. Uh, but little Russ dives in to pull her out and revives her with rescue breaths. Wayne eventually reveals the truth to Diane, and she joins in the search with that contraption that they're both on, like the yeah. you know, the, the hang-drying contraption. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, you know, like, when she pulls the release, like, she's over the tiles, but he's still out over the grass. <laughs> and it's like, was that a calculated thing because she figured they couldn't have gotten that far by then? That moment confused me. Right, because sure. it was like, whoa, like, you could have just dropped right on them, like, and you would never know. What did she say, though? What was her thing? She, she's like, I don't know. Oh, right. She gave some little justification, which kind of made sense in the moment, but really, like, yeah, I, need but, to, I need to review that again. It was, a, it was a thing where it was like, oh, I... I already searched there or something, or... No, it was like, I, it was something completely, it was like, oh, this is a bigger thing. Like, we need to think about this bigger thing. Yeah. And then it kind of like was like, oh, that's where she's coming from. And it was also like, you just killed your kids. We're exactly. that tired of looking. Right. It's like, <laughs> wow, they're almost here. Yeah, exactly. And it was like at the end of the night when it's like they're the most likely to be closer to the house. Yeah. I don't know. Well... Just kind of spacey. Either way, she convinces Wayne to share the information with the Thompsons, but they remain skeptical. Naturally. I mean, if somebody came to me with this, I'd probably tell them to kick rocks. Yeah. Although I do have a, a curious mind, and I have a sci-fi mind, so if somebody did come to me, I'd be like, yeah, all right, let's check this out. Let's see what's going on with this. Yeah, yeah I would I least, want to know about this. I would at least indulge them in being interested, because right. clearly they have some sort of information about my children. I want to see where this goes, right. And if at the, ver- at the very worst, they know where my children are, and that's a problem, I want to, like, be near them so yeah. that I can, you know, maybe Liam Neeson this situation. Yeah, but I think if I'm as dumb as Russ, then I'm probably not. No, yeah, Russ is not the sharpest knife in the drawer, or he's not the sharpest bait in the tackle, I don't know. I don't do fishing. The kids feast on one of Nick's discarded oatmeal cream pie cookies and use a crumb to capture a friendly forager ant naming it Auntie and riding it toward the house. 
Dude, Antti would make such a good pet, and I legit shed me a little tear when he died fighting that scorpion. Yeah. Spoilers. Well, that's the thing, is that, like, <laughs> the audience is the only person that gave a shit about Antti. I know. So when that... Oh, they didn't give a shit about him. No, he was... They actually... It took 16 puppeteers to work this fucking thing. <laughs> Everybody on the so crew funny. hated this fucking thing. I bet. They they loved watching it die, and <laughs> there was like such a debacle on the film. I guess like there was uh, they wa- they thought that the ant looked too horrifying, so they wanted to make it mo- look more like ET. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> so it. Yeah, so they brought in the the uh, original director, the guy who wrote the thing, right? Yeah, and they're like make it. And the only reason they didn't be is because he said. Uh, no, I because ET is more horrifying looking than an ant. Are you kidding me? Well, yeah. How are you going to soften it up by turning it into ET? It's alien. As so. silly. Well, I'm glad they didn't. I mean, it, it looks it looks legit. I don't know. I'd be stoked on having an ant around. Like just like a dog-sized ant that would just chill with me and like guard my ish because they're strong as fuck. They treated that ant like a turtle. They just, just like they did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it was getting its its sugar rush out of it. He's getting its little crumbs. I'm just surprised that more of his buddies didn't show up around that obiole. It seems hard to believe. Right. That just, like, one friendly ant is going to show up just when you need it the most. It just came from three miles away. And then, like, where are they where there's a scorpion in the yard? Honestly. Good question. Because as night falls, the group takes shelter in a Lego piece, which there's a lot of cuddling going on in there. Amy and Lil Russ begin to express feelings for one another and share a kiss. The kids are later attacked by a scorpion, but Auntie, at the cost of his own life, helps them drive the scorpion away. R.I.P. Auntie. Yeah. Man. And you can tell that the script was written by a bunch of men because, like, when the kiss happens, Mm. she grabs the back of his head and pushes it towards her mouth. That never happens. That's a little aggressive. That never happens. For anybody. Even in the most passionate throes of our lovemaking, my wife has never grabbed the back of my head to pull me in closer so we can make out harder. <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? Like, that's, bust my lip. Right. Yeah, exactly. I know you have that sharp tooth. Yeah. Can you do that for me, please? Yeah, in this Lego in the yard. Like, I, like, I just don't feel like a female screenwriter would be like, yes, and then I'm going to shove his mouth into my Right. Head. Yeah, no, yeah. Who does that? That's such a, like, male term anyway. Well, it is a Disney movie written in the late 80s, so I can... Like four male... Yeah, exactly, yeah, so you can pretty well guess that it's, yeah. But anyway, that's... They, they, were, they were passed up by uh, National Lampoon. <laughs> they were getting it out there. Oh, you know, actually, speaking of National Lampoon, this movie was written for Chevy Chase. Oh, as the as the as the yeah, yeah as Zelensky. you know I can as see that he has it is a whole vehicle for his career okay but, but he's said, a douchebag no they ruined it for him and mine but he couldn't because he was doing Christmas vacation oh, okay so so then they visited like cop like they wanted to fast track the movie idea they didn't want to sit on it so they got Moreno in it yeah no then they asked John Candy. Oh. Right? So John Candy, see John Candy, John Candy declined, but he said, uh, oh, I worked with Rick on Spaceballs. And right. It was really good. Yeah, yeah. And he was just coming off his success of uh, Ghostbusters. Yeah. So then they're like, this is solid, putting two and two together to get gold once again. Yeah. Fuck yeah. It's funny. Hey, funny is funny. The next morning, Nick's friend Tommy arrives to mow the lawn. The kids are forced to seek shelter in an earthworm tunnel, barely escaping the vortex caused by the mower, which Wayne and Diane shut off just in time. The kids hitch a ride on Quark and enter the house, but Nick falls into Wayne's bowl of Cheerios and is nearly eaten. Quark bites Wayne's ankle to get 
by the way, Quark is such a good boy. Like, he's literally fucking the anchor in this whole thing. Yeah. And so far as moving the plot forward in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Because he's like, hey, by the way, you're about to fucking eat your kid, you idiot. Like, what kind of awareness are we uh, ascribing to what is ostensibly Eddie from Frasier? I'm pretty sure. Is it not the same dog? I mean, it's, it seems like that. Like the, the late '80s turned into the '90s. Jack Russell Terrier in every movie. I feel like is Eddie from Frasier. It could be. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of turnover. I mean, there's only so many. To get a well-trained Jack, I mean, maybe it's not that hard, but like, you know, this is like pre-Tiger King days. You know, like this is when Doc Antle was gearing up to get his shit on fucking uh, Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, like. This is when, if you had a corner on the market, you were the guy or the gal. Yeah. But it just, I just feel like every Jack Russell Terrier in like the mid, like mid 80s to mid 90s. No wonder, because they filmed it in Mexico, so they must have uh, flew him out to Mexico. First class, obviously, he's worth it. It's like, what, is, what does he want? He's worried about his prissy dog. Yeah, exactly. Only it's catnip or something. <laughs> no, yeah. Champagne and catnip. <laughs> developed a taste for like a, an exotic trans species delicacy. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, that's what you get when you live with Fraser Crane. At any rate, uh, Quark bites Wayne's ankle to get his attention. Wayne discovers the kid's presence and works to repair the machine. Both families meet in the attic, and the kids use charades to inform Wayne that the baseball blocked the laser, which previously overheated targets and caused them to explode, which you had mentioned earlier. Good job on that recall because even after watching it i wasn't sure because i was like did he ever put all of those chips back in it afterward like how did he get it back to operating capacity so quickly like yeah because he was um <clears throat> i think the plot in the world of the story that night where they found out they're like okay we're gonna give up now and she's like well i can't sleep and so he went to go work on his machine e. and then he there's a scene where he goes up to the cat clock and it's like Sorry, I, I need your parts and pieces, and then... Ah, uh, okay. So he's, yeah. like, he's actively, like, rebuilding. Gotcha. This based on, you know, from, from other shit from around, yeah. <clears throat> Wayne corrects the problem, and Big Russ volunteers as a test subject. The test is successful, and he and the kids are later restored to their original sizes. Cut to months later at Thanksgiving. The Selinskis and Thompsons have become good friends and are toasting over an enlarged turkey. And, of course, Quark has an enlarged boat. He's got a giant bone. He's a good boy. Yeah. That's and, a that's a little Disney. Yeah, that is. Yeah. And th that's true. And then at the end, the French class joke recall cut <laughs> on our neck. I, I get it. Yeah. Uh, so what I want is a, like an alternative ending where then it just cuts to like two people in French class getting finger banged. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like not what he was. <laughs> yeah, not what all what he was. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> just like fucking in the teacher's line. Yeah. <laughs> It's like the teacher and the youngest student. Yeah. I get it. French class. Well, moving on to uh, just like, honey, I blew up the kids. Yeah. Oh, it's you can't say the N word around two year olds. And what she means is naps. Oh, that's a better. Line. Yeah, that's a better line. And it's so, a terrible. Yeah. More formulated. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, that about wraps up Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> is there anything else that uh, pressing that you wanted to cover, Jono, about it? About the film? Yeah. Thank you for referencing it as a film instead of a movie. Oh, it was an 80s film. Uh, it is a film indeed. Yes. I don't know. It was kind of a horror. 
Yeah, think about it. It's very traumatic sure. as a try. I mean, it's a kid's movie, but it's mm-hmm. fucking traumatizing. They're in the throes of death every second. Potentially, yeah. Absolutely. All this sexual ambiguity. Oh. There's like, yeah. like literally the whole plot line is about a family on the verge of divorce. Yeah, you know, that's true. And, uh, you know, like just this, they're living next to their bullies. It's like yeah. this whole dysfunctional. It, it's a regular event horizon. Yeah. <laughs> it's a perfect story. Yeah, if I think of sci-fi horror, I think of like that Space Odyssey. Yeah. And then, of course, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Well, it can, it, I mean, if you think about it, it's really scary because, you know, you're lost. That's yeah. this feel of isolation, helplessness. Do you even know which way you're really going? Right. In the yard. Disorientation. Totally. It's all fear-based, you know? Yeah. It's kind of scary. Everything becomes, uh, I mean, it's... It's an adventure mode. I, I don't know that I would perform well in this scenario. How would you do if you were suddenly shrunk against your will and then had to figure out your way to become big again? I don't I don't know that I'm I mean, successful because there are many times where they should have just flat out died. Yeah. Like there are many times. I mean, I think some of that is just Hollywood effects, you know? I don't think it's really physics. <laughs> but well, <laughs> I don't think it's possible. I, they They hire a slew of scientists to... You know, validate. Yes, I'm sure. It's a well-researched film. Absolutely. Yeah. 10 out of 10 research-wise. So, Jono, what's coming up next in your comedy schedule then? I have some shows this month. I have uh, some great shows that I run. Second Sundays at Stardate Tavern at 6.30, April 9th, uh, Easter Sunday. I'm running a really great comedy show, and that'll be every second Sunday at Stardate Tavern. Very cool. Yeah, there's a great lineup. You can check out more on the Instagram. Actually, shout out to Laughs PDX. Look on there. That's got all the information. Hell yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All of your comedy needs in Portland, check out LaughsPDX.com. Absolutely. Yeah, and thanks for running that. That's awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank shout you. Out. Shout out to Brent for starting that. Yes, indeed. Shout out Brent Lowry at Aha Brentley. Aha Brentley, yeah. Um, but also, April 20th, Gold Soccer Bar, Howler Comedy Hour. 8.30, it's going to be a banger of a show. Hell yeah. Uh, Sean Jordan headlining that one, and uh, a lot of great comics on that. Love Sean Jordan. Very funny. So I'm at Funhouse Lounge the other month and had me genuinely, like, crying, laughing. And it's all, he's, like, to, it, that. When, I, when I heard him curse, I was like, Can <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> I cover your ears a little bit? Yeah. No, he's, he's very funny. Well, cool. Uh, definitely looking forward to seeing those shows and seeing you around town and all the oh, and stuff like that. And always, and as always, yeah. we're, as we're out here of in course. front of uh, Achilles Olympian, uh, yeah. every Sunday at 4 o'clock, comedy open mic, sign up at 3.30. Hell yeah. Jaron George and I, co-host, come on down. It's a lot of fun. It always is. And Thursdays. Hey, uh, Dirty Angel. Uh, Mike on Thursdays at Kelly's every Thursday at Kelly's Olympian, I think, uh, five o'clock. Yeah, that's right. And it, as well as a bunch of other shows and musical acts and just head on to the bar too. Kelly's Olympian downtown staple here in beautiful downtown Portland. 1902. 1902. My God. I can. If you want to see a cool motorcycle on the Hailing yeah, the roof. Amazing. Well, always a fun time at Kelly's. Jono, thanks for meeting up with me and talking, honey, I shrunk the kids. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, honey. Thanks, kid. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again, Jono, for meeting up with me to honor the legacy of Rick Moranis. 
We'll have to try to find a VHS box set of the TV show somewhere. Probably some weird thrift store in Toronto. I feel like we might have to sign over our souls for that box set. Definitely worth it, though. You know, Shady Pines Radio is super heckin' awesome. So awesome, in fact, that we've been nominated for Best Radio Station for the second year in a row for the Willamette Week Best of Portland poll. Last year, we lost out to OPB, which is understandable. They're super rad. But it would mean the world to me and the rest of the Shady Pines Radio family to gain your support in spreading the word to our ever-increasing audience. Let Portland know how much you love Shady Pines, because you know you do. I mean, just check out this lineup for the rest of Tuesday. You're listening to ShadyPinesRadio.com. Here's the lineup for Tuesday. Starting at 8 a.m., Science Factual with Reese Hendrick. At 9 a.m., Emotional Weather Report with Jamie Stewart. Beat Salad with Mason O'Brien at 11 a.m. At noon, The Blue Hour with Blue Corbidae. Northwest Comedy Hour with Emily June at 1 p.m. At 2 p.m., The Prague Hour with Reagan Lindy. Your Own Private PDX with DJ Squiffy at 3 p.m. At 4 p.m., Cosmic Taco Beach Shack with Big Papa Warrior. At 5 p.m., Natural Facts with DJ Whiskey Soda. At 6 p.m., Anything New with Shorty L. Toasty Tunes with Alex Toast at 7 p.m. At 8 p.m., Radio Seance with Your Psychic Friends. At 9 p.m., Fresh Unoriginal with DJ Wineglass. Turntable Talk with Chili and Bass at 10 p.m. And at 11 p.m., Taking Drugs to Play Music to Take Drugs to with Shampoo Douglas. No matter the day or time, you've picked the right time to listen in. Thanks for listening, and tell others. Shady Pines Radio. You can stop by Shady Pines Radio any time of day or week for mind-blowing, amazing content from Portland and beyond. But since we're down here among the tardigrades, how's about some larger-than-life facts about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Stuart Gordon, the horror director behind Reanimator, came up with the idea for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And Stuart Gordon isn't the first filmmaker one would think of to direct a Disney film. With a background in experimental theater, including a trippy, in-the-nude version of Peter Pan, he made his name with campy horror films like 1985's Reanimator, about a scientist who brings the dead back to life, and 1987's Dolls, about a murderous collection of dolls. Tagline, they walk, they talk. They kill. After he became a father, Gordon decided to make a kids movie. Along with Brian Yuzna, who had worked with him on Reanimator and Dolls writer Ed Naha, Gordon came up with an idea for a film about a hapless inventor who accidentally shrinks his children and throws them out with the garbage. He pitched the idea to Disney, who loved it and gave Gordon the green light to direct. Gordon then turned Honey, I Shrunk the Kids into a horror movie. Consider the evidence. It's got an obsessive scientist, giant bugs, a near-death-by-lawnmower, and the Freudian nightmare of a father nearly eating his son. The nod to horror films of the past was intentional on the part of Gordon, who sees the movie as an homage to Fright Night flicks like Attack of the Crab Monsters and The Incredible Shrinking Man. In recent interviews, he's quick to lump it in with other horror movies he's made. Really, it's not that different than Reanimator, Gordon said. It's about a mad scientist and an experiment that goes wrong, and so forth. The potential for severing some heads was there when you have a giant ant coming at you with those big mandibles, not to mention a lawnmower. Who knows what could have happened? 
The original title for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was Teeny Weenies. <laughs> the title was a nod to William Donahue's comic strip from the early 1900s, which followed the adventures of a tiny, inoffensive band of characters. Disney executives hated the title, thinking it would turn off adult moviegoers. So Gordon and company changed the title to Grounded, then The Backyard, before deciding to borrow a line of dialogue that Wayne Selinski utters to his wife Diane, Honey, I shrunk the kids. Besides, Teeny Weenies is the title of another documentary I watched once in college, and only once. It turns out that Disney was really nervous about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and although they were excited about Gordon's idea, they weren't exactly confident the horror director could deliver a family-friendly feature. Disney was worried I was going to kill all the kids, Gordon said in one interview, and I kept saying, no, I'm not going to kill them, but I want the audience to think they might die. Disney's trepidations extended to the movie's creature effects, most notably Auntie, the heroic ant. The studio told Gordon they wanted Auntie to look less like a real ant and more like E.T. Gordon said, well, E.T. scared more kids than an ant does, and to convince the brass, Gordon invited them to the workshop where crew members were putting the finishing touches on the robotic puppet. Gordon made Auntie nuzzle him like a horse to show how friendly the creature could act, and just like that, the executives were convinced. Now, I've been talking a lot about Stuart Gordon, but Joe Johnston replaced him as the director on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids at the 11th hour. Just as production on the film was set to begin, Stuart Gordon became sick and had to leave the set. Unable to delay the shoot, Disney brought in Joe Johnston, a visual effects specialist who had worked on Raiders of the Lost Ark and all three Star Wars films. However, it was his first directing job. After the success of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Johnston went on to direct The Rocketeer, Jumanji, Jurassic Park 3, and most recently, Captain America, The First Avenger. Gordon, meanwhile, finally got his shot at directing Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, albeit 10 years later, helming one episode of the television show, which ran for three seasons in the late 1990s. A far cry from the potential success he might have seen had he been able to direct in the first place. Turns out, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was filmed in Mexico City. And if you thought the Selensky's suburban California neighborhood and backyard looked like the real deal, well, think again. The entire set, including several houses, complete with white picket fences and manicured lawns, was erected on a back lot at Mexico City's Churubusco Studios. Established in 1945, Churubusco was the epicenter of Mexican film production in the 20th century and a favorite of cost-conscious American producers, with scenes from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Total Recall, Free Willy, and numerous other films being shot there. The set work is very convincing, but there are a few seams showing. If you look carefully in the scene where the mailman is walking the neighborhood, you can see the beams in the back lot wall, which had been painted blue to stand in as the sky, a la Truman Show. Now, as Jono mentioned during the interview, Auntie took up to 12 workers to operate. The heroic aunt who befriends the pint-sized Zelensky and Thompson kids and tragically dies fighting off a scorpion took a lot of effort to bring to life. The special effects team built multiple versions of Auntie, including a miniature for stop-motion animation sequences. Most of the scenes in which Auntie interacts with the actors involved a large robotic puppet whose legs, eyes, head, and antennae were all controlled by separate crew members. In order to create the amazing set seen in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, designers used a lot of foam. From giant broom brushes to towering blades of grass, the movie set designers were masters at fashioning latex and polyurethane foam into oversized versions of everyday objects. To show the kids getting swept into Wayne Selinski's dustpan, designers attached the giant foam bristles to a hanging screen that swept across the stage. 
The enormous cream-filled cookie, meanwhile, was also made out of foam with globs of actual cream mixed in for the kids to shovel into their mouths. Speaking of special effects, the Bumblebee flight required some technical wizardry of its own. By 1980s movie standards and even current ones, the Bumblebee ride that Nick Selinski and Little Russ Thompson take is impressive. Creating the sequence required a giant bee model for close-up shots with the actors, along with an extended shot by a camera that zipped and dove around the Selinski backyard. Pretty standard stuff, but visual effects lead Tom Smith added a third element, a small $30,000 robotic bee with miniatures of the actors on top. The fine movements of the robotic bee were spliced in with the close-up shots against the green screen, then touched up with some added digital effects in post-production to create the final sequence. Smith was quoted as saying, We were able to cut them quickly enough and mix them up so that it gives the incredible sense of flight when you see it. It is a pretty good scene, even by 1980s standards. The movie opened up with an animated sequence showing two tiny children running from a record needle, a typewriter, and other menacing everyday objects as title credits cleverly materialized. According to the graphic design site Art of the Title, the sequence created by Croyer Films was one of the first to combine hand-drawn animations with 3D models. The team that created the sequence included Andrew Stanton, who would go on to work on Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, and WALL-E along with Eric Stefani, an acclaimed animator and brother of Gwen Stefani. Uh -huh, However, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids opening credits were also grounds for a lawsuit. The musical score that accompanies the animated credits, written by James Horner, sounds very similar to the 1937 song Powerhouse by jazz composer Raymond Scott, a little too close by some estimations. Scott's estate felt strongly enough to sue Disney for failing to credit the composer. The studio settled the case out of court, of course, and made sure the estate received its fair share of future royalties. Turns out that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was a surprise hit. With a $14 million haul on opening weekend, it was the biggest opening ever for a Disney movie, by a long shot. It was also a surprise for the studio, considering the movie wasn't a sequel and had received mixed reviews from critics. In all, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids would go on to earn more than $130 million domestically and $92 million worldwide during its release. And perhaps some of that success can be attributed to Batman, being that it opened on June 23, 1989, the same day as Tim Burton's classic film. According to the Los Angeles Times and other sources, many theatergoers who couldn't get in to see Batman opted to see Honey, I Shrunk the Kids instead, helping to boost that movie to number two at the box office. With all that attention came some scrutiny as well, as the movie earned an award for poor grammar. As any English major could tell you, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is not a grammatically correct title. This earned public ridicule from Spell, the Society for the Preservation of English Language and Literature, which awarded the film its Dunce Cap Award for 1989. A Disney executive was quick to fire back that the mistake was deliberate as it's taken from a line of dialogue in the film. And let's be honest, the error certainly didn't do anything to hurt the movie's box office haul. Oh, and in case you were wondering, it would be more appropriate to say Honey, I Shrink the Kids in the past tense. Despite all of its general success, only one of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids' young actors is still working. Box office success didn't translate into long-term career success for everybody. Robert Oliveri and Jared Rushton, who played young Nick Selinski and Ron Thompson respectively, gave up acting in the 1990s. 
Same with Amy O'Neill, whose only other major role was in 1993's White Wolves, A Cry in the Wild 2. Only Thomas Wilson Brown, who played Little Russ Thompson, continues to appear in films and TV shows, and only sporadically at that. The adult ensemble, meanwhile, fared somewhat better. Matt Frewer, Big Russ Thompson, has worked steadily in films and TV series like Orphan Black and Twelve Monkeys, as well as a guest role in Star Trek The Next Generation as Professor Magnuson. Not to mention Max Headroom, shout out. While Marcia Strassman, known for roles in M.A.S.H. and Welcome Back, Cotter, made regular appearances on shows like Tremors, Highlander, and Providence until her tragic death from breast cancer in 2014. And you know we can't gloss over my boy Rick Moranis, who retired from acting in the mid-1990s, but is coming back. I am the key master. In the mid-1990s, Rick Moranis went completely off the radar to focus on raising his two kids after his wife passed away. In recent years, however, he has said that he would return to acting if the right role came along. And in 2018, he made a brief appearance in the 1980s set sitcom The Goldbergs, reprising his role as Dark Helmet from Spaceballs. Definitely do yourself a favor and check out episode 30 of Science Factual with Amanda Lynn Deal, where we get into Spaceballs, along with Malik Ray Sean from The Smoke Break. More recently, on February 12th of 2020, it was confirmed that the then 66-year-old actor would officially be coming out of retirement to appear in Disney's planned reboot of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Well, I guess instead of being a reboot, Shrunk is going to be a sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. According to a report published by Illuminerdy, Josh Gad is set to play the role of Nick, the son of Moranis' character. Nick has started his own family, but still suffers from PTSD due to what happened to him in the original films after he shrunk. Seems like a very 2020s plotline. Well, I know this movie is ripe for a water cooler fact about whether or not we can actually shrink things a la Zelensky, but that would be fairly obvious, I hope. In case it isn't, here's why it's infeasible we'll be shrinking anything down too much, save George Costanza in the pool. And myself, if I'm going to be perfectly honest with you good people. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I was in the pool! I was in the pool! Everything we know of in the universe is made up of some things. Atoms. They work similarly to Tinker Toys, where blocks are connected by rods to make things. The simplest forms objects take are crystalline. You see crystals in your life all the time, from table salt to metals to adorned on the chest of Portlanders the city over. These crystals are bunches of atoms connected in repeating shapes like cubes or hexagons. If you wanted to grow or shrink something like a crystal, an ant, or a person, you need to change the distance between the atoms. To shrink something, the distance must get smaller. To grow something, the distance must get larger. The problem is that the rods connecting the atoms really act like tiny springs. They don't want to be pushed together or pulled apart. They want to stay at the same length. This length is so tiny that you could fit a thousand of them inside the width of a single human hair. How much these tiny springs resist pulling or pushing is determined by the electric force, which is a constant of nature. As far as scientists know, the electric force has the same strength everywhere in the universe for all time. To grow or shrink something, we would have to change the strength of the electric force, which is not possible to the best of our current knowledge, at least. There are a few things in the world that do shrink or grow, but the way they do so is not by shrinking or growing at the atomic level. Usually it involves adding or removing water or something else. 
Grapes shrink into raisins when they lose water, and sponges expand when they soak up water. Wait, so why do I get shrinkage in the pool? That's the true mystery of life, I guess. I'd like to thank Mental Floss for that little dive into the first film of the franchise, as well as Wikipedia, of course, because if it's on Wikipedia, it was likely put there with the aid of some weird science. From my heart and from my hand, why don't people understand my intention? Oh hey, I should cover that boner-inducing classic, also from the 80s. Next week's episode takes us deep into the Shady Pines as I visit with Matthew Broderick. No, not... Bueller. Bueller. But rather the werewolf of Shady Pines. We got to meet up and celebrate Shady Pines Radio's third birthday at the Doug Fur Lounge in Southeast Portland. Check that episode out now on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. But before we head into those oddly inviting woods... Let's hop in the Wayback Machine and check out guest comedian John O'Ginhart's very first set at Helium Comedy Club, right here in Portland, Oregon. Thanks, John O, for opening up the vault for this one. I'm afraid that Sandy reinvents himself. But I heard he told me I was half German, so. 
Thank you very much.